Hello, Bulls fans, and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thank you for joining me again this week. And though the draft has been run and won, I want to talk about it a little more because in my last show, I recorded a solo show straight after the draft and had a million thoughts flying around my head. But a few days on, I've allowed myself to collect some thoughts, as you probably have yourself too. But importantly, I also want to talk draft with a friend whose opinion I respect more than most. And the reason for that is this man is a self-proclaimed prophet and can see into the future. I am but a man, but he is a visionary and a leader who walks among us. He is Fred Pfeiffer of the Chicago Bullseye Podcast. Fred, how are you doing, mate? Mark, my friend of years, friend of tears, it's always good to talk to you, brother. From the beautiful continent of Australia uh, to the U.S., it's what, what a glorious day it is today. It's a beautiful day. The draft has been run and won, Fred, and we've got, a good, we've got ourselves a good player, and I'm sure you're very thrilled to have Kobe White joining the Bulls. <laughs> I, I, you know what? I spent all night. I haven't slept since the draft has been over. I, I went uh, <laughs> nighter, watched hours, reams of uh, Kobe White tape, and I've kind of, I, like I said, I've seen the light on Kobe White. I've come around on him. Uh, you know, get grab your Bulls gear. The Exodus is here. I'm come up with a bunch of sayings. I the, the kid, you know what? He, uh, in fairness to myself and and any anyone who was at Doug Tonus, the legendary Doug Tonus party, will admit this. Within a <laughs> 45 seconds, I did a complete 20, uh, a complete 180 that I was actually leading the room in a Kobe chant. So I, <laughs> I went from being devastated. Then I saw his interview, and uh, you know, regardless of what you think about the kid as a player. He is impossible not to fall in love with as a human being, and I, I had to, I had to turn around, man. I'm 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 on board the Kobe White train, despite the the rolling uh, mountains of, of of yesterday. And I want to bring that up. I want to start the show with this because I thought it was highly yeah, amusing to to go over this. And you're exactly oh, there's, look. There's a number of reasons why I wanted to get you on today, and I'm not going to lie. A part of it it was so I could give you some good natured ribbing here about your general Kobe White takes. But I do want to talk draft with you uh, uh, more uh, more holistically. But I want to fill the listeners in into the mind of C-Red Fred. And I'm sure they're they're well-versed in it anyway. I mean, most people will probably follow you on Twitter. But if for whatever reason, you know, the listeners of this show aren't following C-Red Fred or haven't necessarily heard of C-Red Fred, which I do find hard to believe, I want to give them a bit of an insight as to just to the way your mind ticks over, and in particular with Kobe White, the latest Chicago Bull. But I want to take you back to May 28th, Fred. And you had a tweet here, and I'm pretty sure you actually said this on my podcast too, maybe a month or so ago, but it was May 28th, and you had this gem of a tweet, and I'll I'll read it to you, all right? Uh, Are you sure? (laughs) (laughs) This one says, Kobe White shot worse from the college three last season than Chris Dunn did from the pro three-point line. White averaged less, averaged less assists in college than Dunn did his last two seasons for the Bulls. White will never be the, de- the defender that Dunn is. Let's hope a team takes White ahead of us. So that was your initial tweet on May 28th and clearly not a fan of Kobe White. And I've just p- pulled up a few responses that from this from this tweet that you got. And uh, one, one guy here, he, he messaged you back and said, I think Carson Edwards is better than Kobe White. And to that, you said, I agree 100%. <laughs> one day we'll all look back and agree. <laughs> and um, another reply I had to this tweet, or to your tweet, 
Um, <laughs> and this one's genius. When we get one, how are you going to spin this tweet, Fred? <laughs> to which you oh, said, no. I won't spin drafting White. I'm not impressed with the tape I've seen. His two best skills are his ability to push and make free throws. Not lottery worthy, in my opinion. <laughs> now, that is amusing when you sort of combine that with your tweet that you had yesterday and after the draft. And to your credit, you mentioned it before. So this came just uh, just after the draft. I did a full 180 turnaround on White after that eve- in- in- interview. I'm on board. Long live the Red Leviathan. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta admit, man, that's some that's some uh, impressive dancing, brother. Uh, you gotta admit. you're quick on your feet. I'll give you that. Well, you know, every day I try to become better as a human <laughs> and, and, a, and a basketball analyst. Right. The, the one solace I had in the interim of that tweet, you know, I, I generally had the idea that guys do not have massive improvements from the three point line, and I looked at Colin Sexton, Sexton's numbers. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was amazing the jump that guy made. He went from a 33%, I think, three-point shooter in college to the next year shooting 40-plus from the NBA three-point range. So, And then also I heard our, our good mutual friend Ricky O'Donnell mention that he had just out-of-this-world numbers on a catch-and-shoot, which obviously is a little bit easier than off the dribble. He's going to see a lot of catch-and-shoot next to Zach Levine. Uh, you know, there, in fairness to myself, I think I did mention that he was extremely quick. He did push did. the ball. You did. Yeah, and, and and there were obviously knowing who our coach is, uh, I, I didn't, you know, that's not a great fit, right? Well, then Pax gets in front of the mic and I believe everything Pax says. And Yes, he, he did. <laughs> he did state that they're going to run the ball a lot more. It was clear he has an understanding of today's modern game. And I, I kind of view Jim as a guy who's going to listen to what uh, his his superiors say and 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 make them happy, do his best to make them happy. Which Are you I calling think him a yes man. Well, I wouldn't say he's a yes man, but <laughs> I, as Casey Johnson said, I think Casey Johnson put it: he's eager to please. Right. And right. to that end, excuse me. To that end. I think uh, he is going to push the ball. I think that the Bulls are going to play at a much faster pace. I think we saw that last year when they had the personnel to do it. They played at a much faster pace outside of that disaster in December. I I still don't know what's going on there. But, you know, regardless, February came. I became a much happier man, and the season ended with, you know, a a G League team. This year is going to be a much better season. And I don't think Kobe White's starting. Like, I'd be shocked if – I had talked to a couple people who were like, oh, we got our – New starting point guard. I, I don't think that's remotely true. I, 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 I think it's. In, I would be shocked that they don't sign a veteran point guard. I'd be shocked if they don't go after Patrick Beverly. And I think that's the right thing to do when we're talking about a nineteen-year-old point guard. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I'll be extremely surprised, and I'll actually be quite disappointed if they don't have a, maybe not a great starting caliber point guard, but at least a stopgap solution. Whether that's Patrick Beverly, uh, Patrick Beverly, or uh, Corey Joseph, or Darren Collison, whatever the name is. It'll always ultimately come down to cost, but I'll, I'll be quite disappointed if they don't have some sort of veteran backup point guard or someone who'll play backup minutes, maybe like 20, 25 minutes, depending on that player. And I'll be annoyed if Kobe White is sort of put into that starting role because I, I don't want to see Kobe White get done like they did Chris Tun, where they had, you know, just throwing a, a young kid into the Wolves or to the Wolves rather and just sort of having not much experience or not much support behind him. I think that would be a complete mistake. Yeah. It- 
and uh, to get off the the topic as quick as possible, since I don't want you to read any more tweets. I've got more, but yeah, we'll, we'll go on. <laughs> I, I do honestly. I had an interesting conversation with our, our mutual friend Kevin Anderson on this topic. I'd love to get your opinion. Okay. So, what is a fair price for Patrick Beverly? I think we're both in agreement. I hope we are that. To me, he's the, the the guy who checks the most boxes. He's the perfect fit. Uh, next to Zach Levine, I think Levine's a little bit more ball dominant. You don't need a guy who's ball dominant at the point guard position on the Bulls. Next to Zach Levine, he plays Beverly plays great defense. He can shoot the ball. He's I think he's a, a perfect fit, and he's very versatile as a defender. What do you pay for for Patrick Beverly? What is too much for Patrick Beverly? Yeah, well, I think for me, too much is probably like ten million dollars. Like ultimately, the Bulls have quite a few holes. So you can't afford to go out there and give Patrick Beverly, you know, fourteen or fifteen million dollars, which is the number that's been sort of put out there now. I think Bobby Mark said it on Zach Lowe's podcast that that's potentially what he's hearing uh Patrick Beverly may be signing for in the offseason. And to me, that's probably way too much. Uh, I think ten million a two-year $10 million deal or even a three-year $30 million deal with that third year being non-guaranteed or partially guaranteed, I think that makes most sense. But anything beyond two years and an annual salary of, of, of $10 million that I'm probably out on, what, what, are, you, what are you thinking? I, I agree that when we talk about three years, I think that's a little bit too long. Yeah. I, I suggest we go high-end two years at $16 million per year with a th- team option for a third year. And the reason why is I understand – Everybody calm down. Uh, I understand it's probably what more than what you wanted to pay for Patrick Beverly, but I would counter is, you know, I, I understand Otto Porter Jr. is making probably more than you want to pay him. Otto Porter Jr. is probably, if anyone thinks logically, is probably making about $7 million more than he should market value. I would estimate if he was an unrestricted free agent, he'd get somewhere between 17 and 20, somewhere around there, maybe 17 and 22. Mm-hmm. So he's over. Anywhere from seven to ten million dollars. Yeah. What people factor in is that Larry Markin and, and uh, Wendell Carter Jr. are making a combined ten point five. I think we all can agree that they're well underpaid based on their production. Zach Levine's making nineteen million. I know that looked you know angered many last summer. I think that contract's a bargain now based on what a player of his ilk will be, you know, returning. So the Bulls don't have a ton of guys that are overpaid. If you're trying to find a veteran to set the tone to set toughness to set defense first to have that mentality that you want I, I don't think it's it's fine overpaying a guy three or four or five million over the next two years because we're in a rebuild still we're not going to be getting any major free agents there aren't any great free agents in the f- next year now, regardless I know you love Draymond Green but I'm not paying the max deal for Draymond Green I think what we need to save our keep our peg, uh, powder cake dry is for you know the following summer I, I am totally fine with paying overpaying for Patrick Beverly in the next two years. And I do disagree with you when you say we need a lot more. I, I don't. I think you need one guy who can play the, the, the four or five, if it's Todd Gibson or Ed Davis and Patrick Beverly. And then what, what, what else do you need? You, you have, if you go through it, get Patrick Beverly, you throw him at the starting position. You got Levine at the two, Otto Porter at the, at the three. You have Laurie at the four, Wendell Carter at the five. Then your backup is – Chris Dunn, who is a very, I think, can play guard anyone. He's a very versatile defender. You got Kobe White as your backup point guard also. You have Denzel Valentine. You have Chandler Hutchinson. You have, is if it's Ed Davis, Todd Gibson. I mean, you're already 10 deep there. What else do you want? 
Well, you need another wing, I think. I think there's no way you can, uh, and this will probably hurt your ears, but there's no way you can bank on Denzel Valentine <laughs> based on the fact that he just missed on a year. There's no way he can factor into this calculation as being uh, dependable based on his injury history. So whilst I, I kind of get what you're understanding, uh, what you're saying, rather, um, I understand that point of view. There's no way I can sort of budget him in and then and just expect 20 minutes from Denzel for 82 games. There's, I can't do that after the well, year. Why not Wayne Selden Jr.? I, I definitely want to bring back Wayne Selden Jr., but you'll need some some cap space to do that potentially, depending on how much he's sort of offered out there. But I guess Antonio Blakeney's on the books too, and I don't want to see him playing another minute at all, even though he's contracted. No, so I think you need a agreed. wing. I think you need that starting point guard. I think you need that you know, forward center that you talked about, which is Taj. But it really depends on Daniel Gafford to an extent as to whether he's ready to go straight away. Because if he is, I suppose he could be your backup center. But really, essentially what the Bulls would be doing at that point would be committing uh, they'd be committing to a center rotation that doesn't have a lot of experience in Wendell Carter Jr., who only played the 44 games last year, and Daniel Gafford, who, of course, would be a rookie. I mean, that's a lot of inexperience to have in your front court. And I don't know if they need a veteran center of sorts, maybe a cheap one. I wouldn't be going out there and paying decent dollars for a veteran backup center, but particularly if you can get Taj and you can slide him to to center. But I think they do need another wing, definitely. Wings don't come cheap, whether that's Wayne Selden or someone else. They definitely need that point guard. But I don't know, $16 for Patrick Beverly. I get your logic as to overpaying for the two years rather than spreading it over three years. I agree with that. But maybe, at least to me, overpaying means... 12 million, not 16 million. I think that's too far. Mm. So Zach Levine, I do want to go back to Zach Levine because I, I think he's one of the most polarizing players in, in Bulls Twitter verse. And I, I like to get your opinion on this because I, I know I did lose my mind when the Hawks traded up for DeAndre Hunter. And I <laughs> just did uh, as a way to get back at the Hawks to move up to three by offering uh uh, Zach Levine and seven to move up to three for uh, Dennis Smith Jr. And, and number three. And then we'll say Hunter and then turn at a Hawks and say pound sand, at which point they'd probably take, I guess, R.J. Barrett and laugh at me. But uh, what, what's, you know, I was only kind of quasi joking there because it would free up quite a bit of cap space. I think we'd have 33 million uh, at that point. And then the reaction, though, was so weird to that statement. Like some people were just, apoplectic with me you you moron and other people were like i love this idea and i just realized oh my god is there a player on more even even now after what i thought was a pretty darn good year that that brings more and then even here ricky o'donnell was advocating that trade for i think it was what was it uh four and in exactly for four and and ball which you know i wouldn't have done in a million years what say you, Zach Levine? Where do you stand? Well, I mean, I had the tweets queued up, but I wasn't going to bring him up because I, I didn't want to do you again. But I mean, seeing as that you brought it up, I mean, it's only <laughs> fair that I touch on this topic. But going back to the draft day as well, I mean, I, I just, I look, you brought it up, so I'm just going to go through it again, taking the listeners into the mindset of C Red Fred. So this tweet came through uh, just before the draft and it was a typical C Red for a tweet. And it, and it goes, or it reads a little something like this. It says, steps to the Red Leviathan status. One, draft DeAndre Hunter. Two, trade every second round pick for the rest of the time to move up and get Carson Edwards. Three, 
sign Patrick Beverly, unleash the monster. So in a lot of ways, we've just captured in one toy what we've just spent the last 15 minutes talking about. But then sort of looping that in into your d- uh, despair when you saw DeAndre Hunter go up to, to number four to the, uh, to the Atlanta Hawks. This next tweet came in maybe an hour later, something like that. It says, oh, my God, Atlanta moved up to get Hunter. All my nightmares have come true. <laughs> and, of course, I love that. I absolutely adore that tweet. And 20 minutes later, this is the tweet you were talking about. You said, hey, Knicks, how about Zach Levine in number seven for number three and Dennis Smith Jr.? We'll take Hunter and, and tell Atlanta to pound sand. <laughs> so that's the tweet you were referencing. Um, and you were clearly clearly uh, disappointed when DeAndre Hunter went number four. But back to your question about the whole Levine thing and that proposed idea that you had in a moment's lunacy, I think that would be absolutely a crazy idea. And I think you mentioned it to me in a direct message on Twitter too. And I think my exact words are, uh, I think it's nuts or something of that <laughs> of that uh, of that nature. So I'm going to repeat that, Fred. I think that is a nuts trade. There is no way I would ever do that for DeAndre Hunter for the Bulls to take him at three. I think it's crazy. I mentioned it on my last podcast that Atlanta was a team that I was kind of sort of somewhat jealous of in how they were rebuilding, and to some degree, I still am. But I was very happy to see them trade multiple assets to go up and grab DeAndre Hunter. That that brought me a lot of joy for a number of reasons, but to uh, to see or to know what your reaction was going to be. So I would have not have done that Levine deal. That was a terrible idea from you. Let me take my, let's take a step back so I can explain the listeners, my thinking here. Oh, okay. Sure. I've watched all these guys hours and hours of tape. The best thing about this draft was that Virginia and North Carolina and, and all these, these teams and Duke, all these great teams with the, with the vast majority of the highest prospects in this draft, all were in, you know, basically the same conference in the ACC, or they played each other. Obviously, Texas Tech played Virginia, so DeAndre Hunter played all these guys. And the more I watched him, I I just fell in love with this guy. His defensive versatility is—I I haven't seen anything like. It. I mean, he would get switched off on a guard. They threw him. They threw. They would throw him on Jared Culver. He shut down Jared Culver. He was on Kobe White quite a bit. Shut him down a lot. Did you I, see that time when he got really blocked by uh, Zion in the corner? Did you do you yeah, remember that? So that, that? That's the one thing I think that people use. He's got a slow. <laughs> everybody, everybody brings up that one, but his release is fine. He's a fifty-two percent shooter. I, I think, without a doubt, uh, when when all said and done, DeAndre Hunter will be the second best player in this draft. I have like zero doubts on that. And if, <laughs> I, I haven't been, I haven't really been proclaiming this. But there's only one team that I think in the next four or five years, I, I, I think uh, Embiid's going to break down physically. The team that does worry me is Atlanta because I do think that, uh, you know, I like some of the stuff they're doing. But my one saving grace was, well, they got Trey Young, who's fantastic offensively, but my God, that guy's this, this, you know disaster defensively. And the more I watched Hunter, in the back of my mind, I just kept on saying, God, I hope Atlanta doesn't get DeAndre Hunter. I just see him cleaning up all the mess. Any pick and roll, you know, you you put you you put uh, you put Trey Young on their worst defender, and if you do a pick and roll, as long as DeAndre Hunter's on the other side, he'll be able to pick up any point guard. He's that good. And lo and behold, they 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 trade their assets to move up and get him. And it was funny. I was on with Waddle and Sylvie, like literally about two hours before that trade, and Sylvie asked me, "Is there anything that would upset you that happens today?" And I literally said, I go, 
Yeah, I will. I will lose my mind if Atlanta <laughs> takes their assets and moves up. It takes DeAndre Hunter ahead of us. I've been going on DeAndre Hunter like PR tour for weeks, and the only guy who agreed with me is Kaplan. And and uh, to the point when it happened, I literally when I heard about it on the radio, I was driving down. I literally had to pull off to the side of the road, and I <laughs> I just started screaming expletives. Oh, just beautiful. I was so upset. So yeah, that's, that's that gives you a little background. <laughs> oh, I mean, it, it's music to my ears. It really is. But I mean, I, I'm, sure, I, I'm sure you enjoyed it. I'm sure you. <laughs> and like I and I, but when I said, "Hey, am I losing my mind? Am I nuts here?" Because I'm not kidding, Mark. You would not believe the amount of people who are like, "I like this idea. I like this idea." Because then you get your point guard, Dennis Smith Jr., and then you have you free up space to go get an unrestricted free agent. Uh-huh. It's, it was insane in retrospect because I think we both appreciate Zach Levine a little bit more as a player than most people do. But do you do sense he's kind of polarizing? Levine is definitely a polarizing figure on this Bulls team. Uh, look, we're going to be in more detail in a second, but let's just take a quick break. We'll, we'll touch on Levine a little, a little bit more after this. What's up, Blue Wire listeners? This is Jack from the Real Underscore Sports Podcast, a Snapchat sports pod. We recently ranked as the number one sports podcast on all of iTunes, all of Apple. We cover all things from the NBA draft, from NBA free agency. We're working on MLB this summer, as well as the NFL offseason. Catch me and my co-host Abe on the Real Underscore Sports Podcast, a Snapchat sports pod, a part of the wonderful Blue Wire Podcast Network. All right, back to Zach Levine now. Uh, he is certainly that polarizing player. It, it's kind of odd. And I, I think bringing it back to Kobe White too, I think a lot of people are concerned with the fit with Levine and White. And I'm to a degree, I, I sort of am probably more so defensively than I am offensively. But yeah, I mean, Zach Levine is that super polarizing player because most view him as that neck negative player where he yeah he'll get you a lot of points he he'll um he'll, he'll do that efficiently but he'll freeze you out or he'll freeze out a lot of his teammates potentially he won't pass the ball and then on defense he's giving up a lot of points too and I guess I kind of agree with that assessment of Zach Levine last season when he was coming back from his ACL but I mean this season I just can't imagine this previous bull season without Zach Levine you take him off the roster and I don't know, put in some average shooting guard. I, I can't imagine this Bulls team being any better given their, their, you know, their clear need for someone on the perimeter to do anything of note, which the Bulls desperately need. And I guess Kobe White will add a little bit to that. But uh, yeah, he, he, I think the Zach Levine hate to a degree whilst it's cooled off some. And I think it was fair to have some critiques about him at the start of last, last season or even during that offseason when he signed that deal. I think now... It, it should be tempered somewhat, but that rage sort of still lives on because I guess he is that polarizing type of player. Yeah, it's frustrating to me just because I, I do like, – there's people I really respect and like. You know, Coach Ron, I know we, our mutual friend Coach Ron. Yeah, I mean, the guy just – he can't stand Zach Levine. I, 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 I get confused as to why these smart people harbor such <laughs> ill feelings towards him because to me it's so readily apparent. He's like one of the few guys – on the Bulls, and there's not many in the league that can get their shot anywhere on the court. You watch these playoffs, you have to have guys like that. When the shot clock gets down to, you know, four or five, he, he'll get a shot anywhere. You know, he'll rise up and get his shot. So 
you need a guy like that. And I, I think he can absolutely be a, a cornerstone or a part of a team that wins a title. And I agree. No, not the best, not the number one guy, but absolutely two or three. Yeah. I mean, 100%. I, I totally agree with that. But just going back to something, something you said a little bit earlier where you didn't necessarily think the Bulls needed that other wing. If that was the case, why were you so in on DeAndre Hunter if you think they're sort of set on the wing? Well, I, I don't think I don't think you can have enough of those guys. So that that was another common refrain I heard. Well, he's just he's he's Otto Porter Jr. He just plays the same position as Otto Porter Jr. and he's basically the same player. Number one, I don't I don't agree with that. I think DeAndre Hunter has a, a higher ceiling than Otto Porter Jr. I think his ceiling is Kawhi. That's how good I think DeAndre Hunter could be. They're very similar physically. Uh, people act like he confuse. Uh, a reluctance to over dribble with an inability to dribble. The kid can absolutely dribble. I don't, I don't, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole again because I, <laughs> I know, like I said, Dave Kaplan and I are alone on DeAndre Hunter Island. I think he's going to be a great player. I do. So you can't have enough of those guys, Mark. You, you, you can't have enough of those guys. That's where the league is heading. Having guys I agree. That are long that can switch and hit threes. Are, are, is going to be in vogue going forward till the end of time. So if you have five of those on a roster, that then you're going to win a title, right? So I, I don't, I don't think uh, you, you can say. Um, just because my 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 point was, hey, uh, you know, we don't need them. Uh, or what was your point? What, 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 I lost track of my train of thought. I'm so I angry said, now. I said, and you're, you're correct in the sense that the Bulls could have definitely needed a player like DeAndre Hunter, and that's why I want them to bring in a, another wing in free agency. But initially on the pod, you said that they don't need another wing because they've got Valentine and Chandler Hutchinson. So I'm just trying to clarify the point because you're clearly in on DeAndre Hunter, but you're also sort of okay once Hunter went off the board that the Bulls sort of go after Culver and wanted wanted him to sort of fall to number seven and, and wanted the Minnesota Timberwolves to desperately take Kobe White at six. So I'm just I'm just trying to clarify the point, I suppose. Yeah, I, I admit I was a little bit – I wasn't thinking clearly over the last few weeks when it came to anyone else but DeAndre Hunter. I think that really shaded my thoughts on a lot of things. Like, I like Culver, but I, I didn't like him as much as Hunter. I viewed Culver as a poor man's hunter. It's just – I just loved Hunter so much and fell in love with him. It, it ruined – almost the way I looked at any other player, including Kobe White. Kobe White, after watching tape last night, and I did say he's just super, super quick and he's going to push the ball. Like I said, it's almost to the point after watching these interviews, reading his article on the Players' Tribune, like you have something seriously wrong with you if you can't cheer for this kid. Seeing the way he he, he reacted when he, when he heard uh, Johnson was, was drafted, his teammate was drafted. Yeah. I mean, he, he's clearly a special kid i'm as someone you know who went through uh several years ago the pain of losing a parent to cancer this kid's a teenager he was a teenager i was an adult and i know how difficult it was he was a teenager he loses his father and he's under the the, the bright lights of playing basketball in north carolina i mean i i don't know if you if, if you know anything about this kid and you have problems with and you you, you can't not you're so angry about the bulls you're not willing to cheer for kobe white like I said, I, I don't know what's wrong with you. So, you know, I, at this point, that's the way I kind of feel. It's like, all right, you know what? I said all these hor- all these not horrible, but, you know, incorrect things. And and I'm glad we got him now. And I feel like he, he does fit. And at seven, like, I, I was having this discussion. Who would you have rather taken 
You know, after I had it, I wanted to go after last night, I kind of had it ranked. I had Hunter number one. And after that, Darius Garland. And after that, Culver. And then after that, I was like, I don't care who we get. Right. I, I guess White is the best choice after that. Or was there someone else that you were internally arguing about? Was it was it Clark? Yeah, I was, I was literally about to say Brandon Clark's probably going to be maybe the steal of the draft, one of them. I mean, it's, it's hard to say at this point because, I mean, oft, as is often the case, someone will come out of nowhere and end up being a, a really great player. But I think Brandon Clark would be the name that I would have said. But, I mean, realistically, the Bulls could have got him too, potentially if they um, you know went to OKC and maybe took a pick and or took that pick off their, off their hands for a salary dump or something like that. But... Assuming Brandon Clark isn't the pick and it was, you know, one of those guys that were taken in that sort of eight to twelve range, I, I wouldn't rather have any of them over Kobe White. And maybe that's wrong of me to say. Maybe that will be proven wrong in time. Maybe Cam Reddish sort of comes out of nowhere and proves to be better than what his lone season at Duke showed us he he can be. And I didn't want Jackson Hayes. I, I didn't want another no. center on the roster. Yeah. I, I had no I mean Rui Hachimura at number nine, I think is one of the worst picks in this draft. I think he can be an okay player, but to take him at number nine I thought was insane by the Wizards. Agreed. So yeah. I, I I guess maybe the only other one that had I had some mild interest in was Seku Dum uh, Dumboya, but I mean I'm not losing sleep over it, at least right now, based on what we know now. Maybe if he fulfills his potential, but I like White. I I I gave it. A, I gave the draft pick a B plus. You know when the Bulls sort of, I guess made the pick. I think I don't think it's a perfect fit. I don't think it's a perfect pick. I think it's a solid one. But I'm I'm happy with getting a, a just a player that I'm confident can at least be a good player. And I, I said this on my last show, but the Bulls just need good players. I don't think they have enough of them. And just amassing a collection of good players is what this roster sort of needs right now. And to have a player like White who who does fit next to Levine to a degree and does play a modern style of basketball and does things that this team hasn't had a point guard for so long. Uh, I'm I'm pretty happy with how it sort of turned out. What about the second round picks? I was with the Queen of Bulls Twitter, Ramina and, and Keith Franz and a couple other people when that pick came up and Bull Ball still on board. And I, I personally, I heard a lot, you know, Bull, no doubt the guy's an immensely talented, skilled player, but Number one, he's not obviously durable. And number two, he doesn't have the work ethic, according to every scout that I heard talk about him or the love of the game. I and mean, right there, those are huge, huge red flags for me about a player when you know people are questioning their motor. Those guys rarely ever end up becoming anything because that's the heart of what you need. So w- were you upset with that pick? Did you like that pick? Uh, love to get your opinion on that. Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't normally take a center with a second round pick, whether it's Gafford or someone else, because I mean you can just get them very easily, and uh, I I probably wouldn't have done that if I was the Bulls. I probably ideally, if it was me, I wouldn't have taken taken Gafford. I probably would have taken uh, Taylor Horton Tucker or someone like that, at more of a project piece. But I think with this with that second round, unless you're getting like a, a super experienced player who you, who you know can, uh, can contribute, like a Carson Edwards, someone like that, then I'd probably take a, a risk on a project. So I kind of get why people are upset about not taking bowl, and I, I get that idea. But I was never a bowl fan. I, I definitely saw it. I definitely wanted no part of it at number seven. But as he sort of slid to forty four, I I understand the justification as to why you would take a swing on bowl bowl at forty four because that would potentially be insane value if he sort of does reach his upside. But at the same time, I wasn't too disappointed with it because I just don't see bowl amounting to much because. 
You mentioned the health concerns. The fact that he's 208 pounds as a center, I mean, that's that's just problematic. So I, I wasn't too upset about it, but I understand why people are. So why did Gafford – I haven't heard a good explanation why he felt – he was a projected lottery pick last year in, in a much better draft. Now he's a second-round pick. Well, what were the reasons for his precipitous fall? Have you heard them? What, what, what are they? I think it's a similar situation to Robert Williams last year where – uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, Robert Williams, the reason why he slid, uh, slid down the draft board. But for, for uh, Gafford, I think it was just he was meant to come out last year, was potentially a top 20, top 25 pick, or, or, or at least a first-round pick. But he went back to school for whatever reason, didn't necessarily put up better numbers, didn't necessarily show anything new. And because of that, and because of, I guess the center position generally is becoming less in vogue than what it was you know, a couple of years ago, let alone five, ten years ago, I think that probably explains as to why he sort of slid. I mean, even uh, Goga Padazzi, I mean, he fell from sort of that six to eight range or six to ten range, and he's fell all the way to 18. So centers generally aren't doing well these days, and I, I guess that's why Gafford was there for the Bulls at 38. So what did you think of that Ringer article? I don't know if you read that uh, article. Uh, the 2019 draft highlighted the art of building around a – uh, I can't remember something to that title. And one of the quotes I had highlighted on Twitter, I don't know if you saw this, was White will be the rare rookie point guard taken in the lottery, starts his NBA career with a lot of talent around him, end quote. Do you agree with that statement or do you disagree with it? I think the Bulls have a lot of offensive talent around them for sure. I mean, this can be, assuming they do get out and run, like we sort of said from the top, assuming Borland allows them to do that. I think they do have the offensive potential in certain lineups to be putting up some serious numbers. Like we said from the top, I don't think White will start and I don't think he should start. I think easing him in as a bench guy, I think that probably makes sense as having him as a combo guard off the bench. That's ideally the role I want him to be in. But there are going to be units when you can put him out there with Zach Levine, Otto Porter, Larry Markinen, or Wendell Carter, or maybe even go even smaller where you have Larry at the five and, and Porter at the four, something like that. I mean, there is offensive potential for the Bulls to have these five five man units where they can score a lot of a lot of points. It'll it'll be just I guess the biggest question I have is defensively because White isn't much of a much of a defender. And during that February run that everyone likes to reference, where the Bulls were playing their best basketball last season, their defense was just absolutely terrible. I think they were bottom five in in defense in, in defensive rating. They may have been twenty fifth actually off the top of my head. So that's what I'm yeah. more concerned about than than the offense. I think there's going to be chance here assuming Boylan allows for it and Pax, to his credit, uh, post the draft sort of said that along with Chris Fleming, he's expecting Boylan to, to sort of modernize the offense and get out there and run up. I think if they do that, there's definitely there's definitely going to be lineups out there that can run and can score points pretty quickly. And I also counter, I think there's a lineup of White, uh, Dunn at the two, Chandler Hutchinson at the three, Otto Porter Jr. at the four, and Wendell Carter Jr. at the five that will be very good defensively. Very good. And I, I think there are options. Finally, we have a team where you can decide to play, you know, defense first, a little combo or a little bit all offense. And there are a lot more options now with the talent that they've assembled. And I really am sensing a change in the tone. I always, I know I love to joke with you that you're, you know, you're my counter, but I, I think deep down you're, you're, you do skew positive as much as you want to fight it. And, <laughs> It's rampant throughout the fan base, just a rampant negativity for the past several years, maybe rightly so, maybe not. But I think there is a turn. I've seen it after this draft, and I think in the tenor of the reaction, 
And I think there's a lot of hope now all of a sudden about the beloved bull. And I think things are starting to, in terms of the fan base view of the team, definitely look a lot rosier. Do you agree with my assessment? I mean, it really, look, it depends on what the individual fan really wants and what their ultimate goals are in in following sports. I mean, I'm coming at this, looking at this team, and I'm not expecting a championship. I don't see a top 10 player on this roster. I know you disagree with that. I I don't see a top five potential player. I don't see this Chicago Bulls team in its current iteration based on where these players are potentially projecting as players to be a championship contender. So I'm not coming at it looking at looking at it from that point of view. So I don't have that title or bust mentality. So I, I think ideally if this core can sort of stay together and can grow together and actually, you know, become good NBA players on both sides of the ball, I think they could be a 50-win team. And if they do that and they're fun to watch, then I'll, I'll be happy to see that if that's the peak of what this team will be. But I mean, ultimately, I'm not too concerned about the players on this roster. I think Garpax generally do a pretty good job of bringing players in. It's just more the more holistic things that bother me, whether it's you know selling selling uh, second rounders for cash or what Boylan was doing last season. It's more it's it's more about the things that happen away from the floor that bother me than what is necessarily happening on the floor from a player skills point of view. Because I'm not coming at this expecting the Bulls to to dominate and win a championship any anytime soon. I'm not expecting Zach Levine to to be that sort of top 10 offensive player or something stupid like that. I, I just don't have that view. So it ultimately depends on your expectations. Mine may not be as high as some, someone else's. So maybe my, you know, that, that baseline as to how far we can fall. I, I just don't have that, although that expectation. I think with the Butler trade, that was the low point, the Nadir or whatever for, the, the, the tenor of the fan base. And, and from that point forward, even the good moves were just still, I'd say the majority were negative on it. So, you know, Butler drafted Mark and an absolutely a negative reaction. Trading Butler in itself was a negative reaction. And then all the major moves after that, you know, not moving up, taking Wendell Carter Jr., signing Zach Levine, uh, Bobby Portis trade for Otto Porter Jr., uh, all negative. Everything was negative. Even, the only, I, only the holiday trade, I'd say, was a majority positive. Signing Parker, obviously, all those. And then this is the first one where I was kind of surprised when they drafted White. I was expecting a, a, a definitely listening to the Chicago radio like I do. I was expecting a lot more negative. And it was, I would say it's absolutely, I think, skewed significantly positive which I've been pleasantly surprised about. So I don't know. I'm just sensing a much more positive tone and a belief that this team is special. I have a really close friend who's a Golden State uh, expert and followed that team for many years. And he, he keeps on telling me about Curry in 2012. Like no one saw Curry becoming what he was or even Clay in 2012. And to, when they, even when they lost in the first round in 2014, did he have any inclination that those guys were going to become, you know, top 10, top 20 players? And he's like, no, you know, there was still overall a lot of questions, a lot of disbelief in this team. And I kind of feel it's the same way with Markinen. I think it's the same way with Wendell Cutter Jr. Nobody expects these guys to be top 10, top 20 players, but then it happens. You know, it just happens usually in year three, usually in year four. Nobody expected Siakam to be as good as he was this year in year three. Certainly not Draymond Green. He admitted that in a post game. It just, <laughs> it just happens. So <laughs> that's what I get excited about. Of course, of course, we don't see Laurie as top ten yet. 
You know, well, you do. You do. I well, I do. <laughs> yeah, we got <laughs> Mark. <laughs> I've got that ability. Well, yeah, I, cool. I, the Red Sea parts. Uh, you know, but I, I I think most people don't like. I think most people. Where, where do you think Larry is going to max out at as a player right now? Probably what top twenty five, top thirty. Is that where you I, see him? Yeah, I think he probably could be like a, a top thirty player, maybe like something like that. I'm not on the lower side of that. And in the same way, we think about you know Kevin Love or Al Horford or players like that, where you know they're two, three time All Stars, something like that. Maybe I don't know. Obviously, those two two players, maybe Kevin Love has probably been a little bit more accomplished. I think there was a point there when people yeah. thought Kevin Love as a top ten player. So Absolutely. I don't know. I don't know what yep. the comparison is, the right comparison, but I think Lowry could potentially top out as a top. 30 player but Zach Levine top 50 Wendell Carter top 50 but I don't, I don't see a top 10 top 15 guy and but that's me maybe I'm wrong well I think though it's swung around that you are at least seeing oh my gosh this team does have an interesting collection of talent to all 26 and under and with a few interesting free agent signings like that we had in 2010 there could be a significant jump to competitive playoff status and maybe beyond if most importantly, Laurie makes a jump and Levine makes a jump, and especially Wendell Carter Jr., who I know you love. And I think yeah. we all expect some type of jump. It just could be. Yeah, I'm certainly ex- expecting a jump. I'm not expecting playoffs. I, what I spoke about before was what I imagine this this sort of call as a as a unit being the peak of. I don't expect them to necessarily necessarily get them. I get their next season, but I I, I think based on. You know the the players that they're sort of amassed already. You know, budgeting in a a couple decent role players. I think this team, we should be looking at at least a thirty two to thirty five win team. Um, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm not I'm not expecting a playoffs uh, playoff performance. So again, going back to the expectations, I'm not expecting that. So I won't be dis- disappointed next season if the Bulls don't make the playoffs. Obviously, if they have another repeat season of last year where they win 22 or 25 games or something like that, that will disappoint me greatly because I'm expecting around that 30-win mark at least. But it all comes back to expectations, and I-, I think that's where the message gets lost. And ultimately, we probably mostly, and just generally as Bulls fans, we probably agree on 80 85% of things. It's just it's hard to... It's hard to talk about it online because the uh, the character limit on Twitter, at least, is um, it's too limiting, I suppose. And sometimes even the best of us can uh, go off the rails as someone <laughs> that I'm talking to on this podcast has been known to do. Well, it's a win-win for you because if we have a great season, we're all going to have a lot of fun. And if it, we have a bad season, I am going to be devastated, Mark. I will be a basket <laughs> If we win 35 or under... You will never see red will not even approach what I, what you've seen for the last five years, because I will begin to question everything I believe uh, if we're healthy. Right. I mean, if we have six injuries to rotation players like last season, I mean, no one can beat that, can overcome that. But if we're healthy and we win 35 or less, I'm going to be extremely disappointed. So it's a win win for you, brother. It's always a win-win. I like to set it up for myself, like to cover all bases, as I did this year with our bet. We'll talk about we'll talk about our bet for the upcoming season, maybe on a future podcast. But I I very much doubt seeing you ever turning away from the red leviathan and, and questioning your stance with anything with balls related. But I look forward to the day should that happen. I mean, that will be like you said, a win-win for me. But I appreciate you coming on, my friend. Thank you for sharing sharing me your your draft thoughts, your draft Do you want to hear takeaways. A 
Uh, I would love to hear a basketball story. Actually, I was wrapping it up, but I definitely <laughs> want to hear a basketball story. All right, I'll give you one last basketball story. You know what? I, I haven't. Only my closest friends or anyone who were was in the gym when this happened knows the story. <laughs> I decided public with it because I think there's a greater good right. in this. <laughs> so go ahead. Sophomore basketball year, playing Phillips, St. Lawrence versus Phillips. I made this incredible steal. Uh, I was a shooting guard, and it was a, just – I can't describe how incredible this play, play was. Jumped the passing lane, had a breakaway. And I couldn't dunk. Like, I could touch the rim, but I couldn't dunk. But at that moment, I really felt like I was <laughs> building the momentum. You had some momentum little bit more air in the shoes. <laughs> air in the shoes, right, to dunk. So it, 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 when, you, when you're thinking you're going to dunk and you're not really concentrating on what's happening behind you. So I went up, I, I, you know, I kind of slowed down a little bit, got myself together, ready to go up for the dunk. And this kid who I stole the ball basically from, who the, the pass was intended to, had sprinted full speed and dove and hit the ball at such an ex, a, 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 a exceptional speed that he tipped it. And the way I was winding up with my knee to go up for the dunk put a tremendous amount of force on the ball. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> the gym did not see the, the the ball hit by the player. It looked as though I literally was dribbling and dribbled the ball directly off my knee, which sent it going into the stands at about 75 to 100 miles an hour. Yeah. And it hit a woman, I swear to God. An older woman. I think you've told me this story before. <laughs> okay, never, never mind that. But she was yelling in the gym. All right, we'll end it. Yeah. So I mean, you're getting a little bit on in your years, so I understand why you may have forgotten telling me that. One. But I, you pretty much knocked out that old lady with the ball, right? That's what happened. <laughs> I can't believe I told you that story. I totally forgot about it. All right. Well, maybe I did tell it. I mean, I'm glad I heard it again. I mean, it's it's all. I'm not, I mean, I I feel for that old lady. Hopefully, she's okay. But uh, it's still a funny story, I suppose. Maybe I am getting old because <laughs> I'm forgetting the what, I, what stories I have. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll have another one for the next one. I'm surprised I told you that one. I tried to keep that under wraps. Yeah, I think it may have been early in the year or even last year, but I definitely recall. I'll definitely recall that great okay. story. But and again, anyways, thank All you right. for uh, reiterating and sharing again. But thank you for coming on. I wish I was there with you yesterday and seeing your live reactions oh of God. when DeAndre Hunter was effectively traded up to the Atlanta Hawks. I wanted to see you begging the Bulls not to take Kobe White. I wanted to see your complete 180 <laughs> when, when he became a bull. I wanted to see it all, but unfortunately... Uh, our continent being our continents rather being so far apart it wasn't possible. But Fred, one day, one day we will share a draft day together. But like I said, thank you for coming on the show, and um, we'll get you back on after free agency at some stage. Talk to you later, my man. Always enjoyable. Take it easy. All right, folks. So that just about does it for this episode of Balls HQ. Thanks again to Fred for jumping on Balls HQ this week. Follow him on. Twitter, if you're not already doing it, I'm sure you are, but do it anyway at CBE Fred on Twitter. Listen to Chicago Bulls Eye podcast. Uh, I'm sure Fred will have some amazing post draft takes coming on his show then. But thank you again for tuning into Bulls HQ. We'll probably be back later in the week talking free agency and looking ahead as to what the Bulls options potentially are in free agency. Be, be on the lookout for that one. In the interim, follow me on Twitter at MK Hoops. Follow the show on Twitter too at Bulls HQ Pod. Five-star reviews on iTunes, but we'll be back again later in the week. Speak to you all then, Bulls fans.
I'm Amira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.